Welcome back to the Sully Scoop, where three lifelong Husker bros dive in-depth on all surrounding the new era of Husker football, where our cups never run dry of the roulade, under head coach Matt Rule, made by fans for fans, with J-Sol, B-Sol, and T-Sol. The Sully Scoop is the official Nebraska Cornhusker football podcast, brought to you by Big Banter. We are back on your favorite Cornhusker podcast. That's the Sully Scoop. You're here with J-Cell, B-Cell, and T-Cell. And joining us this week, we got our Northwestern insider, Big Game James. That seems a little bit like an accusation more than anything else at this point in time. And my fandom is Northwestern. But what the heck, if the shoe fits, I'll wear it. <laughs> Welcome to the Scoop there, Big Game James. Happy to have you on. Happy to yeah. be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you, big game, James. Absolutely. We're looking forward to seeing how you have the season going for Northwestern this year with everything that's been shaken up. I mean, we got to dive into these picks of what you got coming. <laughs> Absolutely, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to jump in and talk about it. Um, that being said, it is uh, it is not looking good, I don't think, for my Wildcats this year. See, I, I don't know. My my thought, I've got the schedule pulled up here, and, you know, maybe I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy, and, you know, Northwestern loves their uh, moral victories, but I think they could start the season with uh, two of them here, two uh, actual victories, and then, then the wheels might come off a little quick there. Well... Um, I'm going to share with you guys, uh, you, you may not have heard of this person, but he is a big 10 coach. I promise. Uh, <laughs> his name is David Braun. He is, uh, the new head coach at Northwestern. And here's what he had to say about being the new head coach at Northwestern. I've been out of my comfort zone at many times, and that's where a lot of growth has come from. I've never been this far outside of my comfort zone before. Uh, Coach Braun is coming from coming to Northwestern from North Dakota State, where he was the defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Prior to that, he was at Northern Iowa, uh, both places that I've gotten to go and see football games. Prior to that, UC Davis, uh, and he was playing as recently as 2007 at Winona State uh, University, which I am told is in Minnesota and the namesake of Winona Ryder. So, you know, that has Big Ten West chants written all over it. <laughs> Drink as much Kool-Aid as you can. We totally get it. We went through. I mean, has Northwestern committed to this guy full-time, or is he just going to be like a one-year deal and see what happens? So um, his most noted qualification, my understanding in obtaining the job as the head coach of Northwestern is not being here anytime before now, uh, which is huh. where the administration has drawn the line to start tearing things up from the studs and uh, restaffing the program in its entirety. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. I mean, listen, it, if the goal is to erase everything about Fitzgerald, which I think the administration is trying to do, bringing in a guy coming from North Dakota State where they have a culture of winning there, it's at the FCS level, yes, but I think it's a guy who can come in and, in theory, right the ship. It may not be this year, but he might be able to put some, some procedures in place and kind of help build that culture back up. 
Yeah, the big game, ab- James. Absolutely. Big game, James. I got to tell you, if anybody's going to spin something positive for you, that'll be Bisa. And he'll spin it positive, even if the guy doesn't deserve it, like his favorite boy, Tanner Lee. Again, Bisa, up talk that guy week after week. You got the same product on the field every week. Yeah, it might sound pretty good, you know, having B-Cell back you up. You know, you got somebody on your side. But when you start hearing what he's got going every year in, year out for his picks, you might you might find yourself in a delusional world and you you don't really know if you want B-Cell backing you every time. <laughs> well, uh, I unfortunately, uh, I tend to be more bearish on the Wildcats. I'm a big believer in um, the, the quote, uh, markets trend towards efficiency. And uh, I want to want to call something out here. I did a little prep um, for, for this, which which I know you guys might not be used to. Um, but <laughs> Northwestern, as recently as June 20th, was a five-point dog to open up the season against Rutgers. As of July 10th, that moved to five and a half. More sharp bettors came in, bet it to six and a half. And currently the line is at seven points they are give or getting from Rutgers. So uh, the market tends to believe that Northwestern is at least a touchdown worse than New Jersey's finest. And uh, I, I tend to be in agreement with them. I, I think that when you look at this program overall, and we'll get into the schedule breakdown here in a second, but I see a program that's somewhat uh, in a free fall. And while I wish I could chalk it all up to the uh, obvious news uh, and recent scandals around Northwestern, it was kind of in a free fall before. Um, if you look at their last couple seasons, the wins are sparse. Even if you totaled up both seasons, you wouldn't have a bowl eligible team. Hmm. Um, and you have an offense and defense last year that were in the bottom half of the country in terms of efficiency on both sides of the ball. So uh, all things considered, this program on the field is not heading in the right direction. And I think, as everybody knows uh, now, uh, off the field, they're not headed in the right direction either. Now, big game, I got to tell you, okay, I might agree with the thing about, you know, trusting Rutgers at the moment more than Northwestern, but I am definitely not willing to bet on it. Greg Schiano has shown me nothing of there's no boat of confidence on my end that I'm going to go and drop actual cash on North or on Rutgers to come out and beat anybody. I'm not, I'm not betting Rutgers in any game on the season, not even Indiana. I don't care if they beat them last year. I ain't betting on Rutgers Northwestern. On the other hand, they're kind of that question mark. They were a question mark, as you said, before Fitzgerald was out the door because he would have a down year and then an up year and then a down year and then an up year and then an up year and then a down year, down year kind of been the trend for Northwestern. They got the talent on the roster, probably more so than you could say for Rutgers. So for me, I'm not willing to give up seven points in Rutgers' favor in any game. Well, I got to yeah. agree with you there, Tiso, but I'll tell you what, I'm not even, I'm not in a, I don't think I want to, you know, give Northwestern, you know, seven points either. I don't want to take that bet because there's such a question mark right now with what's happening. We haven't seen them on the field. I mean, yes, they have practices going on, fall camp started, but it's week one. I mean, the team could either band together or it's going to be broken from the entire season. I think they could, you know, start off hot because the teams came together. But at a certain point, I think, you know, 
the wheels are going to fall off and the better teams are going to start coming. But I think it's a great opportunity when you start week one against Rutgers. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, too. And I and I think as you guys were kind of saying, like what Fitz was great at generally at Northwestern and maybe not in the last couple of years, but really finding and establishing a baseline of success um, in that, you know, they made tackles and they were able to score enough. And that's kind of been the M.O. for them is claw your way to seven wins, beat a team you shouldn't and uh, lose to a team you shouldn't. And uh, that that was kind of it. And. You just got to wonder, because um, I, I think uh, J-Sol uh, or uh, T-Sol, you kind of alluded to this, but the talent is still somewhat there on the roster. They're returning a couple guys uh, that have done this before. Um, they they have some uh, new faces around that that should help. Um, and actually, the, the new head coach is one of those who's been tasked with turning around a defense that uh, really took a big step back in 2022. Um, aside from the Nebraska game, they just weren't able to, to stop anybody and, or slow anybody down really, uh, until, until they, uh, met Nebraska's second half offense. As B cell, as B cell calls it the second half of zero adjustments. And that's exactly what it was under Scott Frost. But yeah, I think, I think you guys all alluded to it. I, I don't think Northwestern, I think they were outcoached in a lot of games maybe the last two years that I don't know that I don't know that Fitzgerald or his coordinators were necessarily making adjustments as well um but the talent the talent there is still there the talent level and when you look at I mean even this year with some of the new faces that you're talking about um you look at some of the talent that they brought in you're bringing in a uh, a quarterback transfer here who uh, from Cincinnati, who in theory is, if he gets that waiver and is cleared to play and medically ready, I mean, Ben Bryant is an upgraded quarterback there, that you're not trotting out Ryan Holinsky, you're not trotting out Brendan Sullivan, that you really got a guy who can make every throw and make smart decisions as well. Yeah, I, you know, I would like to be in agreement with you but i think a lot of northwestern shortcomings are northwestern's own uh to have in that you know you look you look at the the average pace of play for northwestern and they've only gotten slower and and it used to be you know i i don't know if you guys know this uh being relatively new to the big 10 but the team that actually or the program that actually brought the spread offense to the Big Ten originally was the Northwestern Wildcats looking for a market inefficiency and, and going fast and doing a lot of those short passing plays. They've gotten away from that over the last decade under Fitz and really slowed down. They still run a spread offense, but they move slow. They used hand signals to get the uh, plays in, but they don't really need to. They could huddle up because uh, they they do not move fast unless they are within four minutes of the quarter uh, or halftime. I'm also curious going in to this season, like what the fan attendance and buy-in is going to look like at home. Cause in years previous, it was pretty iffy based on the game. And now, you know, that they got rid of Fitzgerald, things are looking bleak entering the season even though you haven't played a game yet you I mean you could have just you know hired Nick Saban and you have no clue but 
I just I'm curious what their home stadium is going to look like or if all of their home games are going to be away games as the away games. Yeah, there. So you guys you got I, I know you guys have uh, been to Ryan Field in the past. Um, so you're familiar with with kind of the breakout of of what goes on there. But um, anytime your your program is having to roll a tarp over uh, 20 percent of the seats and and saying it's a, a decorative piece. It's it's not good news. That's that's not something uh, that they generally do at, at Nebraska. So this may sound foreign to to uh, a lot of the loyal listeners out there. But uh, yeah, good programs usually don't need to do that. And uh, it's it's kind of been an eyesore for Northwestern, even despite the recent success. The last thirty years have been the healthiest this program has ever been. Obviously, starting in the nineties with Fitz as a player. And then more recently, over the last couple of decades, with with Fitz as a coach, and they're still really not able to pull fans into attendance. I I have to imagine that Ryan Field is going to be a little bit of a ghost town this year for the early games, and for the later games, it is going to be a party and celebration of Chicago alumni of all the uh, fan bases around. Yeah, I think I you can uh, definitely agree. I could definitely agree with that, but I want to know. Do you think the offense is going to be revamped? I know Biso alluded to it with the new transfer quarterback, but the two starting wide receivers are also transferred in. One from ASU in Cam Johnson and one from Michigan in A.J. Henning. Yeah, so if I'm not mistaken, A.J. Henning is actually uh, from the area. He is a North North Shore kid who, if, uh, again, we, we can – fact check uh, myself on this later on, but I believe he actually went to Stevenson high school in Lincolnshire, which is uh, pretty close to Northwestern's campus. Um, I, I see him as being a speed threat, a guy who can stretch the field a little bit for the Wildcats, give them an explosive element on this offense that in the past, they likely haven't really seen, or at least in the past couple of years, um, you got to be able in the Big Ten, even the Big Ten West, to do more than just chip away at the other team. Uh, maybe not Iowa, but the rest of us, we, we still need to hit big plays and, and try to uh, take the take the game to the other team a little bit. And so I, I think that as, as you talk about that influx of talent, um, not sure if they're having buyer's remorse and transferring back to Northwestern at this point, but uh, you got to think that you know, they, they at least have something to go prove themselves on the field, go try to get an opportunity at the uh, NFL level. So they're going to be playing hard. Um, they're they're going to be doing everything they can. The The other thing is um, Beasel kind of touched on the new transfer quarterback from Cincinnati. Um, my understanding is that there may be a little bit of a quarterback battle on our hands here. And if Braun figures out that he's going to be the head coach moving forward, you got to think that on some level, he's going to be incentivized to actually make a move at starting quarterback. If they're not competitive to the younger uh, true. I, well, I think he's a junior uh, Brendan Sullivan at this point, just so he can uh, go out there and, and have something to build on for the future and then go promise recruits in the future that, Hey, we're going to have somebody here who can get the ball to you. Um, and Northwestern is a worthy place to to come play. Brendan Sullivan, by the way, he uh, future future host of the uh, Sully Scoop. <laughs> <laughs> that may be right, but I do want to tell you a big game. I hate to be the guy, 
but I did fact check it. And while AJ Henning is from the area, he did not go to Stevenson. He went to Lincoln Way East, another premier uh-huh. high school football team in the area. Not as good then. Never mind. <laughs> just kidding. No, just kidding. No, I do think I do think though you hit the uh, the nail on the head there. And you know, as you look at some of these transfer players that um, Northwestern brought in this year, it does remind me a little bit of how. Nebraska was kind of, and Scott Frost last year was kind of grasping at straws um, that it was trying to see what kind of grab whatever's out there and see what'll stick. You know, you bring in a transfer quarterback who can make some throws, you bring in a speedster wide receiver. And at this point you're trying to, you know, see, okay, can we stretch the field and can we keep the game close and then hit a big play to win? And if that's, if that's a recipe for success here, I mean, it worked for Nebraska in a couple games and helped us beat Iowa. Yeah, B-Cell, you bring up a good point, and it reminds me of the acronym you used to describe the Nebraska football program last season, and it was perfect. Maybe analogy. I don't know. I failed English. Either way, B-Cell called us the land of misfits, and that's exactly what we were last year because the people didn't fit. Everyone seemed to be playing for themselves, whether they get a sack or they lead the game in tackles or you know, I had, you know, 15 receiving yards. That guy had zero catches. That's kind of what it felt like for the Huskers last year. And I almost wonder if that's maybe where Northwestern is headed. But then you don't want to stop there because of what the transfer portal is doing these days. I think every chance, like one year, everyone might play fantastic together. And then the next year, it's too many new rolling parts and pieces that ju- they just don't fit well together. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And that's always a concern. And I think it's more of a concern today than ever with that transfer portal, people moving in and out. These are, you got to remember, these are still 20 to 21 year old kids. So the the maturity isn't always there as much as you hope for, but something I just want to touch on here. And again, I'm not trying to be like the, the, the guy who's super down on his team all the time, but um, last year, Ben Bryant was the starter at Cincinnati um, and and he was out, goes out there, plays plays pretty well, and the Cincinnati coaching staff goes and gets the job at Madison. Since then, Wisconsin has taken on three transfer quarterbacks, and one of them is not named Ben Bryant, which <laughs> tells you what they think of their old guy to some degree. And now I don't know if they had offered him, and he just just really wanted that Northwestern degree or something to hang on his wall. But you got to wonder what the level of talent there really is if Fickle and staff were ready to move on, albeit at a new school at Madison. Now, it could have been, as you said, with A.J. Henning, Ben Bryant is from the uh, Illinois area there as well. So it could have been wanting to uh, go home. Looks like he's from originally from LaGrange, so not not too far um, from Evanston that maybe there's, uh, you know, he's trying to transfer back and just finish his degree. Like you said, get that Northwestern degree to end it out there. And uh, maybe it's not necessarily a talent thing, but he was homesick from Cincinnati. Now, B, so what's the drive from Evanston to Madison? Was it like two hours, two and a half hours? I mean, come on, man. That can't be, that can't be the reason. I mean, maybe he grew up local and like, as you know, big game here, maybe he just like, 
always cheered for uh, Northwestern. Okay, okay. So maybe Fickle didn't want him, T. So what do you, what do you want me to say? <laughs> it sounds exactly like what he wanted you to say there. But All I can't blame him. I mean, he was at Cincinnati for a reason. Fickle went out there and got another guy coming in from a power five school. And I think it's going to show this season, but who knows? I mean, he could pop off this year in Ben Bryant. And I mean, being at Northwestern, there's not a lot of expectations at this point. So, I mean, he could shock the world in what he's going to bring to the table. And I mean, if he gets three to four wins, I think that's a lot more than what everyone is, is kind of looking at the schedule thinking right now. And or that some, might just be what I'm thinking. Something else that I want to add on for Northwestern, because sometimes it helps me sleep at night with the last six years that we've had here at Nebraska. But just being in the Big Ten Conference, you have potential to just flip a switch overnight in the offseason and all of a sudden be good again because the Big Ten's making the most money. The schools are taking in the most. And now that we're paying players, I mean – you bring in a new coach, like even even if this guy doesn't work and you bring in a new coach again next year for Northwestern, I mean, he has potential to roll in recruits because at this point in time, I'm I'm looking at the landscape of college football and you're looking SEC Big Ten before you look anywhere else is the way that I take it. So especially the teams that are willing to buy into their program are going to really benefit, but especially the ones who are already built in for the long term like northwestern's been big 10 forever so if they you know in a couple weeks add colorado colorado's not going to be getting the same payout that northwestern does at least for a couple years with colorado just joining the big 12 i don't see that happening there t so but i do like where you're coming from and paying players is a big opportunity to bring guys in and i think that you know the transfer portal it opens up a, a like an avenue so a Northwestern that's going through this type of scandal, a Nebraska like that just went through. I mean, I would call it a scandal having Scott Frost. Don't call me Frosty the Cornflake. But, um, you know, I think it opens up doors to get back quicker than you would if you had to wait for a new coach to come in and bring his, you know, his guys, his recruits to come into the program. I mean, I'm at this point. I'm not giving coaches four years. Why am I going to give you four years to bring in guys and develop them when you can get a transfer from Alabama or Georgia looking to go somewhere? I think you should be able to turn it around at a faster rate in this college football landscape. Especially if somebody's willing, if a program is willing to drop some dough, because if you're willing to drop some dough and the community is willing to drop some dough to support the players in commercials and whatever other endorsements they're doing, and yeah, I'm with you, Jason. I'm not giving anybody four years. I'm not doing that again. We did that with Scott Frost. He lost to Troy in the first game or the second game. And right then and there, we should have fired him. And it would have saved us the last four seasons. Now, guys, you bring up you bring up some good things about uh, flipping a switch overnight here, especially with paying players and everything like that. However, I'm just going to touch on it here. David Braun, been part of two national championships with North Dakota state <laughs> Ben Bryant was a guy who was on a playoff team. And so was, uh, so was AJ Henning. I mean, you're bringing in a couple guys here who have been to the playoffs, who have done that, who have been on winning programs that it takes just a few people to kind of be like, what you guys are doing isn't working. Here's what you need to do to win. And I'm not saying that it's going to change overnight. I'm not saying Northwestern is going to go out and go undefeated, but I think a couple of these guys who know what winning football looks like, they might be here to play for themselves, play in front of their family, 
do a lot of that. But at the same time, they could get this team gelling together who could rattle off a couple of what I would call winnable games in the Big Ten here. And just like that, Beesaw has locked in his West winners for this season, it sounds like. They're bringing in some winning guys, you know, some guys that have been there. I do want to let you know that neither guy has won a playoff game. They may have been there, Beesaw. But I think Beesaw is almost predicting that they're going to go back. These guys are going back to the playoff is what I'm hearing from them. Well, Jason, don't don't you be putting words in my mouth. Jason, I got to say, man, that would put the icing on the cake for calling it the wild, wild west of Northwestern is the team to come out, which I'm not going to say is not possible because I haven't seen enough from anybody that makes anybody a front runner in my mind. And all the people buying into Wisconsin, I think, are sadly mistaken. But Bissell, when's the last time North Dakota played Alabama? You're talking about these guys being champions. When's the last time they that this guy had to coach against a caliber team like Alabama or like Georgia? You know, like they might have played a guy who could have played at Alabama or Georgia, but that's one player. That's not the entire team. Come on, man. I do want to let you know, Tiesel, he did take on Bo Pelini, who was at Youngstown State. He is born for the Big Ten football. <laughs> I'm not sure they even overlapped. When did Bo Pelini leave Youngstown? Didn't he leave in 2020? Fact check that guy. <laughs> I R- regardless. Big James, though. you are you are you are correct. They did not overlap at their time duking it out in the FCS. You know, I I just got to tell you guys. I uh <clears throat> so I I did uh, have a cup of coffee in in uh FCS college football and and got to go to a game at Youngstown state uh, where uh, the Redbirds played against uh, the penguins of, of Youngstown state. And uh, I got to witness both Bo and Carl Pellini get ejected from a game, which is, uh, you know, I think a great thing to, to witness on the college football fan bucket list is watching those two guys lose their minds. Because I think for, for some guys, the perception of them kind of, um, takes precedence over who they really are. And I think with Bo Pelini, what you think he would be is exactly who he is uh, for better or worse. And uh, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent here for the, for the listeners, but he really stuck it to Nebraska with his contract on the way out and only accepting a very uh, small relative to what he was making at Nebraska deal and uh, a lot of college football coaches' contracts work in such a way, for the fan who may not know this, has better things to do, uh, where future earnings offset your former contract term. So if you get fired with a couple of years left and you're making $5 million a year, uh, and then you go get a new job for $4 million a year, your, your former employee, employer, i.e. Nebraska, would only have to cover a million of that of, of your contract. So if you're really trying to stick it to your, your former employer, you're going to go get a job that pays maybe $200,000 a year and force them into hiring uh, Mike Riley. Yeah, don't remind us of that guy, Mike Riley. And again, hey, we so... met him at a tailgate or his wife. She was great. She was great. But unfortunately, her husband was not great. And again, B-Cell was the one pushing his homebrew Kool-Aid at us and getting us to like, hey, okay, I'm with you, B-Cell, I'm with you. And 
apparently Big Dog was pushing that Alabama was interested in him at the time. I don't know, B, so you got to touch on that again because I'm still kind of lost on that connection. Now, t I have been... That comment came it, after Mike Riley started 7-0, and oh, and don't you forget it. <laughs> I think Saban I, was 7-0 and oh as well. It took me the longest out of any of us to buy into sprinkles. Second, Big Dog <laughs> said that before Alabama had hired Nick Saban, there was a report after Nebraska hired Mike Riley that Mike Riley was one of three coaches in the running for the Alabama job before they officially hired Nick Saban. I have yet to find said article or said story about it, but it's Maybe one of those, he wrote it. Because if he wrote those tales, throw it on the on, online, then technically the article does exist. Now, let me tell you something. If if there is that article out there and somebody wants to share it, I, I got to tell you something. Alabama made the right decision not hiring that guy. <laughs> well, I, I think the uh, the second option to Saban, and I'm sure Riley, I'm just thinking back, he was at Oregon State, so he would have had Jaquise Rogers and James Rogers, his older brother at the time, who were probably two of the most electric playmakers at the time, if you're Alabama, you're probably looking at that guy going, hey, if you could win eight games at Oregon State, you could come here and win 11. Uh, and yeah. the other part of that is I believe that the official runner up to the Alabama job who actually turned them down was none other than the Michigan man himself, Rich Rodriguez, coming off of an electric year at West Virginia. So a uh, lot of what ifs in college football and alternate timelines. <laughs> Good old Rich Rod. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it 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 it's uh it's it's fun in your mind's eye to think of a world that uh, Alabama fans would be losing their minds because they have a quarterback who can't complete a forward pass but goes for two hundred yards rushing a game, and they're still losing to LSU. But I'm just big game. I'm I'm running back through the Northwestern schedule this year. And I do th- see the opportunity there to make a bowl game. As weird as that sounds, it's not that difficult of a schedule. As weird as that sounds. So there's a lot of coin flip games. A lot are of you pulling six wins out. Yeah, I gotta. I got to agree with B-Saw. I know he lives in a delusional world, but I got to agree with him. Where are you finding six wins there, T-Saw? Uh, this uh, might T-Saw. be one of your hot takes, and we're we're willing to listen. Again, and, and I'm not and willing to bet same, on you this You and one. I were on the same page for the Iowa schedule, but I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not seeing six wins here, and nothing against Northwestern. I just I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts and changing things this year. Now, B-Saw, I'm pretty sure you and I both predicted Iowa to, to lose to Northwestern. So there's one win for him. <laughs> well, uh, that would be one of the funnier things that could have happened. Uh, I mean, look, I I think that there, when, when you're looking at the health of any program, there's two things that you need to look at. Number one is what's in front of you, which is the season ahead of you. And number two is kind of the, what I would call like the, the macro economic perspective on the program. And so, um, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about some transfers and about, you know, an, an, an injection of new faces and talent into the program. And I think that's much needed for Northwestern. And so 
from that standpoint, I think it's fair to be a little bit bullish on the Wildcats. You know, Rutgers, they're a, ten, or they're a seven point dog against, but that's a very winnable game, uh, especially catching them by surprise, 11 a.m. kickoff out in New Jersey. Then they have UTEP, Duke. Duke looks to be pretty good this year after a surprisingly good season under Mike Elko. Um, I think that you're pretty happy with the Wildcats if you can start the year one and three. Um, and that if you're going to make a bowl game, you, you more or less need to start three and oh, uh, because after that, you get into the heart of Big Ten play. You're going to have Minnesota and then Penn State. Um, so that's likely starting you off on the year at one and four. Then you have Howard. That's, you know, hopefully a win. Uh, although we say all that to say that we <laughs> lost to Southern Illinois, uh, a team that was not capable of making the <laughs> FCS playoff last year by double digits. So, you know, may- maybe Howard comes in and uh, does uh, does a little embarrassing of uh, Northwestern as well. Um, after that, you-, you got the bye week, uh, which you don't really need because then, you, you know, you, you kind of got a cakewalk game after that to prep for Maryland in Nebraska at Nebraska. We know Matt Rule's not interested in winning too many games his first year on the job. Uh, And then uh, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Illinois to finish out the year. Um, You know, Vegas has the the over-under at three and a half on this Northwestern team. And I tend to still believe that there's value in the under. Um, Obviously, you know, I, I don't look at these things purely from a gambling perspective, but if a lot of people smarter than me have done research and and figured out, uh, you know, the likelihoods behind these things, I tend to respect them and, and still believe that the market itself might be a little bit too bullish on uh, a Northwestern team that is in a huge state of, of flux right now. Yeah, I'm with you there, but... I, I just want to touch on on because we don't know who Northwestern is this season. And hopefully they got how, all the negative out. Diesel, how are you how are you with him? It it sounded like he just went through <laughs> and was not predicting six wins there. And I thought you I'm said not, you could pull six. I thought you said you could just pull six wins out of this schedule. I'm not saying they're gonna win six wins and guarantee. I'm not putting the T Cell stamp of approval on it. What I'm telling you is the opportunity is there, okay? The opportunity is probably not there to go undefeated. It's probably not there to win the West. You never say never. But when I look at a lot of these games, I mean, these the, the Big Ten West is not a bunch of powerhouses. The potential's there. The potential's there for yep. everybody in the West. You know, I'd, I think- I'd love to agree with you, T-Sol, in theory, but I think we're all looking at Northwestern's schedule right now, and I would challenge all of you guys to to tell me where the six wins are, because uh, unless you're unless you guys are <laughs> looking at something else, I I I okay, I you know may, maybe an upset against Rutgers, great UTEP, sure Howard, yep, that gets us halfway home to three. Duke went bowling last year, Minnesota went bowling last year. Penn State looks to flirt with a college football playoff berth. Uh, Nebraska looks to be a little bit tough, especially in late October. Maryland is going to be tough. They have a three-year starter returning at quarterback, who I think is going to be one of the better players and has been one of the more underrated players in the Big Ten. 
Iowa won't score at all, but they have a pretty good defense. And then you have Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois. I, I'm struggling to find another three, boys. Yeah, I, I think you could get four because I think, it, you know, at the end of the year, it's going to be a coin flip. I think the Big Ten, you know, the, the wild, wild west, one team will, you know, lose to a team they're not supposed to and somebody will stumble and somebody will step up. So I think Northwestern out of the last, you know, five games, I'll, I'll say the last five games, I think they could grab a win. Before that, I think their only wins are that they're going to be able to get is, you know, Rutgers possibly i think you know starting the year it's not like rutgers is going to be having any momentum at this point they're going to be starting off cold at the, and they don't have a returning starter at quarterback that it's going to be a tough start and tough go for them as well to where northwestern can catch them on their heels and then you got utep which you could start two and oh which would be a huge gain for northwestern going off the bat but then i think you know they're probably going to drop the next three to Duke, Minnesota, Penn State. But then you got Howard, who I think you should win. I mean, being a Nebraska fan, you know, we should beat a Georgia Southern, but we don't. So you don't know really know how the game's going to flip, so to speak. But then, you know, Nebraska, it's going to be a blowout. It's going to have to be a blowout. <laughs> no, you know, it's not happening in Ireland. So you the game's going to go a little different this year. But then, I've, I mean, at the end of the year, I think out of the last – Five to six games, I think they should be able to at least grab one win to hit the over. And <laughs> and one of those things, too, is even if you're looking at that first game against Rutgers and, you know, both teams are coming in, even playing field, nobody knows who anybody's going to be yet. It's not like they're flying in and starting an 11 a.m. game on a Saturday. It's also a Sunday game on a long weekend. So, the team could travel in there on Saturday and have basically get all the travel out of the way. Even if they go in on Friday, they've got Saturday to practice and then still prep for an 11 a.m. game on Sunday morning that that could give them more of a what you would call a normal week as opposed to a short travel week. Well, here's my okay. Yeah. Well, show me the six wins there, T-Cell. Well, what I'm going to tell you right now is this. If you lose to Rutgers to start the season, forget bowl games, forget forget the over at three and a half. You have to beat Rutgers because they've been one of the weakest Big Ten teams ever since they joined. Every time you I play agree. Rutgers, you look at it as a must win. Like, it doesn't matter what program you are. You have to beat Rutgers. So I look at that Rutgers game as a W. If you're going to go potentially six and six, you got to have a, a W at Rutgers. You got to have a W against UTEP. Duke, I don't care that they went bowling last year. We're not talking basketball. This is the football program. They typically don't have success with football. So the fact that they went bowling last year tells me they're not going bowling this year. So that opens it up for me for them to beat Duke this year. They lost to Duke last year, I believe. So maybe the team wants their revenge. So And with that North logic... And with that logic, Tiesel has the Huskers in the national championship game. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm drinking the B-Cell Kool-Aid. But what I'm telling you is the Duke game for me is the coin flip. That's one of my coin flip games. Could go either way. I'm not buying 100% in on Duke because, again, we're not talking basketball. Minnesota's a, a guaranteed L. But if I use B-Cell's logic, what have you seen from Minnesota the last six years? Right? Right, B-Cell? Isn't that your logic? Uh, no, my logic would tell me that Minnesota is replacing every bona fide starter they've had for the last decade on this team. You've got a new quarterback. You've got a new running back. You've got new offensive linemen. That is a lie. 
What what we'll part fact was check the you there. They might be losing a quarterback and a running back, but they're not losing their whole offensive line. And the guys that are filling in have been in the program. So they've been working on the plays. They got the whole scheme already under their belt. For a lot of these other programs, it's guys, new coaches, you know, new programs. They got to run with these players. And these players might even be transferring from a whole different school to where they got to gel with the players that have been at the school, like a Northwestern. They got a new coach coming. They got a new quarterback, two new receivers. These guys got to gel with the team that's already been there. And this coach has to somehow gain responsibility or gain, you know, the trust from his players. And I think that's all around the big 10 West, except for three teams who have been there in Illinois, Iowa, in Minnesota with their coach. Basal, is that is that a uh, oar in the background? Are you rowing the boat, man? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, this I mean, boat is not sinking. I can tell you that. They are my dog to win the West at this point. And, Jason, that's a mistake because, again, people are ripping P.J. Fleck apart. I All right, PJ Mr. Illini. He's got too many distractions going on. Minnesota's trying to sweep it under the rug right now or or row it under the rug, as you might call it. And that's just not going to last the entire season. I suspect P.J. Fleck is out of there before the season ends. And and because there's just too many distractions. Chief Alotowick, don't get all high on your mighty horse right now. Where do you think P.J. Fleck's going? If he's not winning games at Minnesota, he's not getting fired from Minnesota unless they're, you know, some type of weird scandal of uh being a cult as they've been described uh late this off season <laughs> yeah. but aside from not that, going man, anywhere i think fleck is is buying property in minneapolis i mean it's, it's possible but i thought the same thing with fitzgerald and look what happened to him i'm just saying you're starting to hear negative comments from your past players and to me that's a huge red flag because Typically, players like they like idolize their coach. That you know, like the guys who are in the NFL typically are like, I never would have got to this place without that guy as my head coach or without that guy as my running backs coach, or however you say it. And these guys are tearing him apart. So to me, the walls are already coming down in Minneapolis. And if they start the year and they they open with an L against Nebraska and say it's a bad L, say they get smoked by three touchdowns. That's when you're going to see people start to panic. No, seriously, because Minnesota's had this coach for what, five or six years now? Everything is built. Nebraska hasn't made a bowl game in six years. We got a new coach coming in. We're trying to build it from scratch. That's a must win if you're a Minnesota fan. If you lose to Nebraska, it's over. Chief, you're not winning anything. Chief Alinawick, it's enough dogging on my guys who I got picked to win the West at this point. You picked Illinois, as Biso out here saying, we would steamroll Illinois every single season. Well, well, Biso, my question then to you is, where's that been? Because I haven't seen those steamrolls. We've been to, what, the last three Illinois games, and I think we've seen three L's. So tell me, Biso, where are those steamrolls? I've never said going into those games that we would steamroll Illinois. Not going into it well before the game (laughs) even happened, you said that. And then having a couple brewskis going into the game saying, we're definitely steamrolling these guys. You didn't get the nickname Sir Steamroll for no reason. (laughs) I have told you guys for years, Illinois is a bottom feeder of the Big Ten. Bielema being in Champagne does not change the fact they are who we know they are. 
Illinois is riding a high horse right now because nobody in the Big Ten West has an identity. But even though nobody has an identity and nobody wants to win games and nobody can win games and he's rattled off a few, he still couldn't make a Big Ten championship game. So, so go ahead. Sorry, finish your point, B. Saul. No. It's all good. All I'm saying <laughs> is the fact that he got beat out by the Brahms at Purdue to go to the Big Ten championship game. And nobody would have picked Purdue to go to the Big Ten championship game last year. And nobody should be picking Illinois to go this year because they're still worse than Purdue is with a brand new head coach. So then where do you put Fleck on that list? He got beat by Brom with Purdue. Yeah, Fleck's about the same caliber as Bielema there. And who is your pick to win the West there, B-Cell? As you know, J-Cell, the answer is Matt Rule and this Nebraska Cornhusker team. I just wanted you to double down. Matt Rule has never gone into a place and won in his first year, you know, took him to bowling. But, you know, you're on a different landscape. Jason, the two teams that he took over in college football, Temple was so far off, he needed a year to rebuild. When he took over Baylor, it was a Baylor team decimated after a huge scandal to the fact that he had to rebuild it. And it only took him one year to get back up. He's coming into a Nebraska team that has talent there and depth. And they one have game no... away from the playoff. I know how you this, think. B-Cell. This Nebraska <laughs> team, however, did not have any discipline, did not have any coaching, and did not have anybody there to really hold anybody else accountable. He has come in. He is changing the culture. And I don't think they are as far off as everybody thinks. You know, I, I, I have two thoughts on Nebraska this year. Number one, I think Matt Rule was a ringer of a hire for this program and where they're at and what they're trying to do. Um, I love the way that he develops programs. I love the way that if you listen again, Tiesel, you mentioned it earlier, but players who have a lot of respect for their former head coaches, and you hear that a lot about uh, Coach Rule. So not, nothing but respect for him there. The second thing is, I want to know what Nebraska wants to be in the college football landscape, because, you know, I I think that a good target for Nebraska as a program is to become a Wisconsin-like program where you're looking to make 10 wins a season. When the playoff expands, you hope that they're a perennial playoff team, but they don't have a lot of talent in state the way that an Alabama or a Florida or a California does. And so I think that the the thing, the key with Matt Rule is going to be patience. I think that you're looking at maybe five, six wins there. Just just be a tough out is is all I ask for for Coach Rule this year. Don't don't let don't let uh Michigan come in there and beat up on you. Be a tough out, play good football, uh, you know, win a couple games that maybe nobody thinks you should, take it to Colorado run it down their throat, take Dion out of the game early. That's going to help you on the recruiting trail and then get into this off season and hit the transfer portal hard to supplement the players that you do have in house to, to take that next step next year. And James, one of the big things you brought up was uh, hitting the recruiting trail and really trying to build those pipelines back to Nebraska. And mm-hmm. one thing that uh, Matt rule with his, Um, connections into the state of Texas that he's really been trying to build back up is that 
Nebraska and Texas pipeline that really went um, MIA after the move to the Big Ten, that the kids from Texas didn't want to go play at Nebraska anymore because you weren't going to be playing at home. Your family couldn't come see you if you were playing against Texas, playing against Texas Tech, playing against A&M. So I think him building that pipeline back up is huge, especially now that college football has become such uh, so much more of a nationwide game as opposed to really regional. Yeah, that's a great call. I think recruiting is one of those macroeconomic indicators that you see and you say, where is this program headed and what are its aspirations long term? And um, I know that at 24-7 Sports, they talk about the blue chip ratio. No team in the modern era has ever won the national football uh, or excuse me, the college football playoff with less than 50% of the roster made up of blue chip recruits. So as, as I see Coach Rule at Nebraska, I think success is defined as being able to put a product on the field that causes kids around the country to believe in them and want to take a chance on them in the future. You know, I uh, I think we're just a year too early for for Dylan um, Riola, but I was really pulling for, for uh, Nebraska on that one. Yeah, but I'm not so sure that the Dylan Rayola train has completely left the building because nowadays, like, Rayola realistically is not going to play this year at Georgia. And I just look at that and question, is that good enough for you? Is that good enough for the top recruit in the country? Are you okay sitting on the bench for two more years? Because if Georgia comes out and decides to play this guy, guess what? They're not going to the playoff. You're not getting out of the SEC. He's still in high school. Yes, he would be playing this year regardless for Georgia. Okay, sorry, sorry. I'm a year early. Fast forward to next year. Are you okay sitting out three years, two years, whatever it is? Because Georgia's not coming out of the SEC with a rookie quarterback or a true freshman quarterback. It's not happening. Yeah, I mean, you you got to think a program as established as Georgia is going to want a veteran in there. And just knowing what Kirby Smart, kind of his DNA of that defensive coordinator, protect the ball type of person, you got to think that he's always going to defer to the more veteran person. That being said, um, I I think that this is a guy that they identified as being a cannot lose prospect as far as getting the NIL component together, you know, he's from Buford, Georgia. So if you're looking at, a, you know, a guy who was born and raised in Omaha and he's a five-star guy, I think that the powers that be at Nebraska are going to get together and say, Hey, one way or another, we're not getting outbid for this guy. It's kind of like the Steinbrenner mentality in the Yankees. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of how Georgia views uh, this kid uh, in Riola and that, Hey, one way or another, if he goes somewhere else, it won't be because we didn't offer him way more money. And so that's what I think they're, they're up against. But overall, if, if you can get a good proof of concept on the field, you can maybe upset another Iowa game. You can make a bowl game, be somebody of relevance come Christmas time when we're all cozied up drinking beers and watching the early round of college football, uh, bowl games. If, if Nebraska can find a way to get seven wins on the schedule, I mean, I'm looking at it, and I I think that they're in every single game aside from Michigan, and I think, I think Wisconsin's going to be an uphill battle. 
Well, let me tell you something. I don't think they're also, I, I'm a kind of on Tiso's side. I'm not sure I really want to be there. I don't think they're 100% out on Rayola just yet. I think, you know, if the Huskers come out and kind of shock the world and put put on display on the field, he has committed, but he is a verbal commit at this point. That is what all of them are. We've seen it happen time and time again. Guys go into their senior year and then all of a sudden decommit from a school and pick up another place that they're going to end up going to, playing at, and, you know, getting their degree. So I think an opportunity is there to still get Rayola. It is an uphill battle for sure. But, you know, his uncle is the offensive line coach. If all of a sudden the offensive line looks like he's not going to be injured in his first year and he's not going to, you know, not have a chance at the pros anymore because he's getting hurt. I think that that is a big step a big stepping stone for getting Rayola to even look there here. But it also comes down to, you know, how the team's playing. But again, Jeff Sims is going to be there. This is going to be a senior year when Rayola would be a freshman. So it's almost like, does he want to go to Nebraska and sit or would he rather go to Georgia and sit? Well, Jason, I just thought of my hot take for the show while you were talking right there. And no, it wasn't that I wasn't listening to you. But I'm just telling you this. I'm jumping us all the way back. The way that P.J. Fleck doesn't make it to the end of the year this season is, guess what? They go out and lose to Northwestern. That's how it happens. Because everyone looks at that and goes, how do you lose to these guys? How do you? I mean, that's what, that's what they would say. And guess what? That's my hot take of the season right here. Northwestern is so he- going to beat P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. It can't be your hot take of the season. You've already had like 15 hot takes of the season. We'll just <laughs> add it to the list. But second of all, I so does he get fired if they beat Northwestern or does he still get fired by the end of the year? I mean, this hot take, we got to expand on it a little bit. It can't just be if they lose to Northwestern. I appreciate I'm, that your hot take of the year, the thing that occupies your mind as being the boldest statement is a Northwestern Minnesota outcome. <laughs> You know, some people talk about the playoff. Yeah, but that's not that hot. You know, it is hot. A coach getting fired from a Northwestern L. <laughs> from losing to the dumbest program in, uh, <laughs> in college football. Now, Tiesel, as Jason mentioned, you have had quite a few hot takes, so I'm not sure how this is your hot take of the year. And I don't mean to disrespect your team here, James, but I just have to ask, Tiesel, is a – Loss to Northwestern as backbreaking as a loss to a, let's call it a school in the MAC or a school in the Sun Belt or a team that is not another Big Ten team. These are conference foes. And do you really feel like this is the best hot take that you've had so far, that this is the one that's going to stick and this is the one that's most important? Because The other two that I remember that you've brought up here this year is Maryland finishing third in the East and then Gabe Irvin Jr. having seven touchdowns by (laughs) the Michigan game. And I I just think both of those are a little outrageous. Well, be so. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Millions of Sully, uh, Sully Scoop listeners around the country right now are buying futures tickets on Northwestern beating Minnesota, all thanks to UT Saul. And they're going to make bank. Here's what I'm going to tell you, Bissell. That's not his only hot takes, by the way, Bissell. I believe he has Purdue and Illinois both being better than Oklahoma this season. And, Jason, i got to ask you. i got to ask you, Jason, did that cash last year? 
did that cash. I mean, a blind mouse can find cheese every once in a while. Jason, you looked me straight in the eye on camera and said there was absolutely speaking, no speaking chance of a blind, Oklahoma was going to be worse than Purdue. And they were. Speaking of a blind mouse finding the cheese there, I think T-Sol has him on his uh, shoulder today. So maybe we do need to get these future tickets in and bet Northwestern to beat Minnesota. That must be where he is getting all these hot takes from. <laughs> He's whispering them in my ear, and I say them as I hear them. But look, what I'm going to tell you, Bissell, number one, the only one that I regret right now is saying Gabe Irvin's going to have seven touchdowns against Minnesota. But I said it on air, so I'm going to run with it. I'm telling you, Maryland's in at least third in the East, okay? I think they're going to pass Penn State. That's my guess. But it could be Ohio State or Michigan if one of them takes a step down. Wait, who had Penn a State beating that... Ohio State? <laughs> Bissell did. Oh, okay. I, well, fair enough. I did not have that. I had Ohio State going to the Big Ten championship game, and I don't think I had them with a loss when we were doing it. Me as well, but before we skip off of that topic of T-Cell's hot takes, I do believe a part of the Maryland hot take was that on the East, there would be three teams in the top ten. Which would then you think include Maryland? Jason, I was saying three teams in the top 10 because Beasel was like, there's no way Michigan State with the most overrated coach in the Big Ten is going to beat any Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan. There's no way Maryland's going to beat those guys, and there's no way Indiana is. So I'm like, based on Beasel saying that, those three teams are top 10 teams because they're already in the top 10 and they're not I losing see. any surprise games. But, I got to tell you, there's already three teams in the East that are in the top 10. Bingo. Top seven, actually. Bingo. Is one of them Maryland? Because on T-Soul's <laughs> nope. hot take, I believe he has Maryland being in the top 10. I said Maryland would be top 25, and if they're lucky, top 15. But I think they're going to leapfrog Penn State this season. But my other hot take. You guys confused me for a second here. I forgot what I was. I forgot which one it was. But they're going to happen. And jumping back to this Northwestern one, here's what I'm going to tell you. Either Northwestern is going to squeak out six wins or play for that sixth win on the end of the season. It's either going to be that or they're going to beat Minnesota, and that's what's going to get P.J. Fleck fired. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. B, so you asked if losing to Northwestern is, is as bad as losing to a MAC team. If Northwestern comes out and loses to Rutgers, yeah. If you lose to this team, it's as bad as a MAC team because any MAC team would wipe the floor with Rutgers. So what I'm telling you right now, if Northwestern comes out and loses to Rutgers and then beats UTEP, they probably will lose to Duke because if you're not going to beat Rutgers, who are you going to beat? But then they come out and surprise Minnesota and beat them. Do you think P.J. Fleck deserves to get fired? A guy who's been at the program for five or six years, has everything planted. Everyone else in the West has new coaches practically. What has this guy done for you? T-Sol, that read like a Ted Kaczynski uh, letter. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. But notice how J-Sol's being quiet up there in the corner. T-Sol, it's because I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm trying to look through my notes here at all your hot takes and pick out another one I want to come back at you with. You come up with a hot take week in, week out. There is no reason you should be saying it's your hot take of the year, first of all. And I have only seen one of your hot takes ever come come into reality, and it was last season 
Oklahoma won versus Purdue. You know, who was better, Oklahoma or Purdue and Illinois? Yes, you won last season, but I think it's because the West had fallen off. Nobody in the West really challenged them. Do you really think Purdue is going to come back with a new quarterback, a new head coach, and be better than in Oklahoma? Jason, I'm telling you this. It's less about Purdue and more about Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma hired the wrong coach And ultimately, I think he's going to get fired at the end of the season because they're going to have no patience for this. This guy took over a team that was winning 10 and 11 games every season. And he comes out last year and what went six and six. That's unacceptable at Oklahoma. Unacceptable. And I think they lost their bowl game. So they might have been six and seven to top it off. That's pretty much, Jason, they hired their Mike Riley. And now they're looking for their Scott Frost is pretty much the way that I look at them. Yeah. Now, T-Cell, I'm just going to ask you a quick question here. Have you by chance looked at the Oklahoma schedule this year and compared it to the Purdue schedule? He didn't need to. It was that little mouse on his shoulder that did. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, if if you if you just happen to go take a look here at this Oklahoma schedule, there is no way Brett Venables doesn't have this team back up at nine or ten wins easily and be so if he's not at nine or ten wins are you going to do what chazzy says sit outside the stadium and battle him on his way to his car no because i could care less if oklahoma's <laughs> winning games but if it's to prove me wrong i think you would care so i think if he doesn't win nine or ten games to prove me right you're going to be sitting inside his car with a bat and a pitchfork <laughs> All of that would not just be lingering on that one hot take there, T Soul. It would be lingering on all of them. So B Soul is going to be camping out a lot of people's cars. <laughs> J Soul and B Soul, I need to hear both of your hottest, scorching hot, just as it hits you today, August 7th, your scorching hot take for the year. And no piggyback I- in my hot takes. Nobody I, I would don't... ever want to piggyback one of your hot takes. You piggybacked me last year in the championship, and you cost us both. If you didn't jump on my side, TCU would have won. Actually, I, I think it was me putting money on TCU that cost us that game. I'll I'll take the fall on that one. You but be nobody... so. You put money on TCU. Meanwhile, in on the on air live here, you told us there was absolutely no way Georgia wasn't going to win that game by four touchdowns, and you were right. But yet you bet the other way. I listen. I covered my bases. I I still came out in the green there, but I I did put some money on TCU just to lock in that on the off chance that it was my fault, my bet that was going to cost them the game. I was going to sink Max Duggan's ship there. Now, to answer uh, Big Game James' question here, um, I think my biggest hot take of the season is one that everybody's heard, and that is Nebraska coming out with Matt Rule and winning 10 games this year. Yeah, I'm not going to be on that type of bandwagon, (laughs) but let me tell you something. Mine kind of will go hand in hand, you would think. But it's different here. It's not about the best team. We're talking about the best player. If you follow me on Twitter, I've already said it. I've double locked down this already. I have doubled down Jeff Sims as a dark horse for the Heisman. He might not win the Heisman, but he will be in New York. See, now, big game, James. Are my hot takes that crazy anymore? B-Cell's calling for 
Nebraska to play in the Rose Bowl, and Jay Saul here is, is claiming Jeff Sims for Heisman. No, he will be in New York. That's a different outcome there, T-Soul. And it also, it's hard to, you know, pick one of yours that stands out because they all are just the same caliber of delusional. And T-Soul, I never once said they would be playing in the Rose Bowl. You're right. They're going to be playing in the playoff in B-Soul's hot take, (laughs) not the Rose Bowl. J-Soul, I think that you have the most outlandish one, man, because most most Heisman contenders either have great statistics or a lot of wins. And I don't know that Jeff Sims is going to have either this year. I, I think he's a great get on the recruiting trail. I sincerely, I think that's a match made in heaven. You know, you look at the Matt rule prototype for, for quarterbacks at the college level, and he's kind of always looking for the bigger frame, bigger body athlete, athletic um, guys who are, you know, six foot two, six foot three and over and and can provide a little bit of that that short yardage rushing element to the game as as well as get the ball down the field. But coming in to Nebraska and leading that team to at least nine wins, I would say, to get a uh, an appearance in New York is going to be an uphill battle. And while I like what Nebraska's done on the recruiting trail. I'm not sure that they necessarily have the talent to carry a guy like Sims to New York, if that makes sense, or if they're going to run an offense wide open enough, as we saw with some of the air raid offenses that would take a guy who maybe isn't all that with talent and give them the stats to get them to New York. And James, one of the things he brought up there was um, on the recruiting trail and he Jeff Sims being the prototypical Matt Rule quarterback. Interesting enough, um, Rule and Sims are tied together going back to before he took the Carolina Panthers job from Baylor. Um, Jeff Sims was originally committed to play for Matt Rule at Baylor and decommitted and went to Georgia Tech after he had accepted the Carolina Panthers job. So it's one of those that the two are familiar with each other as well. And that's why when he had transferred in, it really seems like that's part of the reason Casey Thompson was run out of town. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, and you got to feel for a guy like Casey Thompson, right? Because, you know, he's he's gone out and he's played hard at a couple big programs. But when coaches lock in on their guy and, you know, there's a sense of comfort there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot riding on these things. And when you're getting paid a lot of money to take a high profile a school like Nebraska and try to turn them into a competitive juggernaut that we saw in the past, you're going to go with who you trust. It's just human nature. So you feel for a guy like Casey Thompson and not being that, but at the same time, um, you know, if, if there is a Jeff, uh, Jeffson's Heisman run, uh, you know, at any point in time, I think that you're looking at next year, and it's really pending a quality season this year and hitting the transfer portal. Uh, really hard in the offseason. But if a Jeff Sims was to come out this season and bring the Huskers back to bowl eligibility and say they get nine or ten wins and go to the Big Ten championship game, I don't think there is a way you can keep him out of the voting as this would be a guy bringing back a sleeping giant, as many would say. But I also want to bring up a T-Saw quote as, you know, 
Coach Rule was with the Carolina Panthers, went to all these pro days. He said Jeff Sims can throw the ball with the rest of them. He probably said best of them. (laughs) (laughs) But here's another interesting thing for you that's floating around Twitter. I have no clue if it's real or not, but I'm going to say it like it is. When we're talking about Casey Thompson last year and you feel for the guy, Casey Thompson was a very good quarterback. He's very accurate. He's very smart. But what he lacks is the deep ball. And you saw that so many times last year where he would underthrow Trey Palmer. And a lot of times Trey Palmer would still come back and catch it because he was that good. But it would have been an easy touchdown. Instead, it's just a 40-yard game. And, you know, just a 40-yard game like It's a great play, but should have been a touchdown. But my point being that Trey Palmer's drafted on the Buccaneers now. There's a quote floating around that says that Brandy Moss is claiming that Trey Palmer is the best wide receiver to be taken in the draft in the last 15 years. Again, I don't know if it's true, but we're rolling with that. And that's the kind of talent that kid has. Fair point. I don't, where did Casey Thompson end up, by the way? I Florida believe Atlantic. it was Florida Atlantic to play for Tom Herman, uh, who was the Texas head coach when he was recruited there. That's a great that's a great move for him, I think. That'll give him an outside shot at the NFL. Unfortunately, likely won't be super relevant in major college football. No, I think that'll be the hardest part for him is maybe he can play upset a couple weeks, but nothing. He's not going to be playing on, in the big games or the big stage again this year. But to put my final capper on the Northwestern outside shot at full eligibility, I'll tell you this. Every Big Ten West game has potential to be a coin flip. So if they sneak in, they're going to win a lot of Big Ten West games because ultimately it's not that strong. Well, what what happened there for last year then, T-Cell? They're not playing any games in Ireland this year, so there's none you can really coin flip for them, I see. The only thing that happened this year is they lost their head coach, and they lost some players, and they brought in some new guys with a new coach, and this is coming down a month before the season starts. And, Jason, I'll tell you this. You lose a coach who, who led you to one victory, good riddance at that point. Can't be any worse than last year. It's kind of, it's like my outlook of like when you have one of the worst defenses in the league or one of the worst offenses in the league and nine of those guys leave, good riddance. Can't get any worse than that. Yeah, they uh, they could double their win total. That's that's a for <laughs> sure. That's a for sure possibility. I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't call that success per se, but relative to last year, I suppose that you could. Um but uh, they're they're gonna have to do it first, and and you know out outside of Howard, I don't see any game on here that I I make Northwestern an over seventy five percent chance to win. Now, part part of my bearishness again on this program is is more about the long term prospects of it. But uh, man, it's 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 gonna be interesting this year. I gotta say this to you guys as well while we're here and we're we're reviewing the Big Ten West is. I am selling all of my Purdue stock. I think that could be a team that is sneaky bad. I appreciate that that uh, they were able to replace uh, Brom, but the the players aren't there anymore. And when the players aren't there and the coach isn't there, you know you, you're going to be doing things a lot differently. And and while 
I think long term that they might still be a, a competitive program with with the bottom end of the Big Ten. I, I don't know that I'm seeing, you know, seven wins for them. So maybe there's an outside shot that Northwestern can be competitive in that game and that might get you to your four wins and you're over on the uh, Northwestern season win total. But uh, with with the other games on the schedule, I just I just, again, have a hard time seeing this this thing get to uh, get to anything more than four. But big game, James, I have a, a final question for you that, you know, what what are your thoughts on Big Ten expansion? Are you are you stoked for it? Are you indifferent? Are you happy? Are you looking for more? What's your thoughts on the Big Ten expansion? So, you know, it's um, it's I don't know that anybody wants it. I I I look around the room, proverbially speaking. And you have uh, somebody at Michigan kind of sliding the NCAA on this. Well, the NCAA is totally powerless. They're inept as an organization. They are one of the few organizations in this country that could take a case to the Supreme Court and get a unanimous unanimous decision ruled against them. Um, I don't think the Big Ten necessarily wanted to have to take Washington and Oregon as early as they did at the very least. Um I don't know that, uh, you know, covering every time zone in the U.S. besides mountain time is something that the Big Ten ever wanted to do. But yet here we are. Um, I think that the there was a very strong message sent to college football in general when the SEC took Oklahoma and Texas, which is you either have to get them or get got. And eventually... If, you know, we we make fun of the Pac-12 a little bit and Larry Scott, if you guys remember 12 years ago, was sitting in a press conference going, yeah, we don't really need Texas or Oklahoma. And we look back on that now and say, well, if they had taken on Texas and Oklahoma back then and Nebraska had gone to the Big Ten, the Pac-12 would be sitting pretty right now as arguably the second best, maybe, you know, at least the third best conference in the sport and have no problem negotiating a new TV deal. So with that in mind, I understand why the TV executives who are really moving this thing and why the Big Ten corporate office in Rosemont is looking at this and saying, look, we're not going to say no to programs like Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA, because at the end of the day, somebody might come knocking for Ohio State and Michigan. And the second that happens, all of a sudden it starts to feel a whole lot different around here. And um, so I think that the proactive uh, nature of the expansion is it's kind of like if you're not growing, you're shrinking. And uh, I think the Big Ten would prefer to be a leader in that rather than uh, playing catch up like you see the Big 12 doing today, where they're kind of looking around going, hey, maybe we can make a uh, competitive program out of Cincinnati now. Cincinnati has had some recent success, but I don't think that you want to be in a position where you're staking your conference's future on uh, Cincinnati versus Iowa State or K-State versus Houston. I I think that you want to get the marquee matchups. And with that in mind, you you need to always be considering expanding. Um, And as a Northwestern fan, I I think that, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any beef with with Washington or or UCLA or or USC or Oregon, and so it doesn't really excite me per se to to go out there and beat them. Um, but that being said, you know I'm happy that 
Northwestern, at the very least, despite all of the issues that we've enumerated on this podcast, is they're they're a part of the club, um, you know, and and maybe maybe the the weakest part of the club, but but they are in the club, they're in the Big Ten, they will be receiving TV money, they have a vested interest in performing on the football field, and my hope for them is that uh, eventually that they're able to catch these tailwinds of the big 10 and its place in college football and reinvest some of that money into the football program, get the stadium done. And that it, it, I, I hope that um, it strengthens them, but that being said, college football overall, it's, it's getting weaker um, in my opinion, because, you know, with, with the transfer portal, um, it's really you're you're seeing what's happening in college football today is kind of being an ongoing theme in American business over the last 50 years, which is consolidation at the top. Um, there's going to be winners and losers. There's going to be way less winners. So, um, you know, teams like Oregon State that that were capable of having a nine win season and, and making some noise at, at one point in time, they're they're no longer you know five years from now they're not going to be capable of of making. Uh, waves in in that same way, or same with Washington State, and you think back to Gardner Minshew and the Mike Leach years. You know th- those those teams are are going to have a harder time being relevant nationally because it's going to take you two years to make the playoff if you're on the outside of these power conferences looking in. And I think one of the things that you touched on there with the TV executives really being the guys behind it, pushing this, giving the bigger deals to the team to the conferences who have the teams that kind of touch in different time zones and networks and things like that with the PAC 12 in all seriousness, really being dead in the water here uh, come 2024, you're looking at the big 10 being the only conference that is going to be coast to coast. And I think that's really going to help them in the long run that now you have a vested audience in terms of, Michigan going to play Washington in Washington. And instead of getting your Pac-12 football after dark at 10 o'clock at night, you've got Michigan playing in the central time zone here at 10 o'clock at night that Michigan fans now who are at home in Michigan on a Saturday wanting to watch college football all day, now watching the 11 a.m. matchup, watching the 2.30 matchup, watching the 7 o'clock, and then having to stay up and having to stay invested in their whole day just to see their team play. And I think that, in turn, is going to help the Big Ten net the richest return in a TV deal that I think is part of the reason the SEC is still staying, I'll call it stagnant, in their geographical location. Uh, that they've expanded a little west there, but they haven't really gone past Texas. And, you know, Oklahoma is not past Texas. You've you still got your same network there. And it would not surprise me when you're starting to look at this, that with the Big Ten, their next move is some of these Florida schools in the ACC. That, you know, South Carolina area, North Carolina, um, Florida area, that if they can net a couple of those programs, you then are nationwide you are the largest conference. You ex- you spend, you go everywhere across the country, and basically you have a vested audience everywhere and in every time zone and for every time slot that you will be on TV. 
And that not only would bring in fans across the world, and they're going to be watching more, obviously, but it would also bring in recruits because guess what? At their house or in their hometown, they can watch on primetime TV. They can watch on any TV as it is broadcast as the Big Ten Network is then nationwide. Yeah, but I I do love it. I personally love it because – and and big game, I feel like you feel how Nebraska fans felt back in 2011. Because when Nebraska was leaving the Big 12, it was like kind of bittersweet. Like we knew we didn't have to deal with Texas and their BS anymore. But we were joining the Big 10 where we didn't have any really historic rivals. And now, you know, we're what, 12 years into it? Some of them are starting to bud and grow. And the biggest one for Nebraska, most people would say, is Iowa right now. That's actually turning into a pretty solid rival for us. But was it worth losing Colorado and Oklahoma and Kansas State? You know, that's that's up for the question. But I really love it because I'm looking at this like more potential teams that maybe rival Nebraska better than some of the teams that are already in the Big Ten. And or, and maybe they expand and bring in some of their old Big 12 or Big 8 rivals. I would love that. I'm really hoping the Big 10 looks at Colorado or Kansas or Kansas State because that'd be a great benefit for the Huskers. And when I look at the four teams that are in, in USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, I just feel like Washington could butt into a decent rivalry with Nebraska. I don't know why. I just got that feeling. I, I I think I think that part of understanding where we are and and what got us here is understanding also where we're going. And if you go back to the Supreme Court case that we had referenced earlier, um, that NIL was was more or less became the law of the land. In that case, uh, the the I. Don't know judges, not a judge guy, but the the judge ruled that he has a hard time believing that these football players shouldn't be considered employees. And so when you look at, you know, where we're going, I think that everybody in the world believes that schools directly paying players is going to be the reality at some point within the next decade. Maybe two years, maybe 10. But in that next decade, and so when that happens, who's going to have the competitive advantage? Well, it's going to be the schools making the most money to share with those players. And right now, with the new TV contract, that's going to that's going to be the big 10. You know, the, the SEC is certainly not in position to lose competitive, you, you know, uh, balance with the Big Ten, so they're they're going to do whatever they can to to balance that out. But um, it's 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 trending towards a world of haves and have-nots. And if you're not getting this TV money um, by by the tens of millions, you know it's 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 going to be hard for for you to keep that quarterback even harder in ten years than it is today. And and so um, you know, overall, I think that anybody who has a seat at that table and gets a piece of that pie is is at the very least going to give themselves a chance to compete. But when they're all playing each other, it's going to uh, it's you know Northwestern still, Nebraska still, Purdue still. They're going to have to beat other teams that are paying their quarterback too. So it'll be interesting to see where where that kind of 
leads us in a couple of years. Well, thanks for joining us for another week of the Sully Scoop. You're here with Jason. B-Sull. And Tisa. And thanks for joining us this week to our special guest, BGJ Big Game James, for his inside scoop on Northwestern. Thank you for having me, guys. And uh, go Big Red. Thanks for coming on, James. Go Wildcats. Don't forget to follow it, like it, leave a comment to be on next week's Grandstand Gossip. And you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find and listen to your podcasts. Go Big Red.